right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to our first episode. I want to thank Raymond and Chris for taking time out of their busy schedules and joining us for a bit of their story. We'll have both of them on again in the future. I know you'll enjoy that. This episode, we'll go through some good topics. We'll talk about parenting, veterans, Zumba, strength, and resilience. I personally am not an expert on Zumba, but our first guest this week is. She is passionate. She's a leader. She is strong. She is called mom, sergeant, friend. As you were told in the last episode, her laugh and smile is 100% contagious. When I was getting ready for my last tour in the mountains of Afghanistan, I went to a weird place in my head where I was not confident. I was not 100% sure I was going to make it back. She looked at me and basically told me to snap out of it. I listened, but I did not hear her words until our second day on Fortress. I was talking to a soldier about how good he did during an early indirect fire attack. It was his first time in theater, and he was on an adrenaline high. I put my hand on his shoulder, looked him in his eyes, and told him he did amazing. As the words finished coming out of my mouth, there was a blast behind me. His eyes got wide as the wave went over and through us. I looked back and saw the dust and heard a yell for help. He looked down and told me I was hit. I told him to go help the others and get them out of harm's way. I looked down and saw the blood coming out of my leg. I officially heard her words right there. I 100% know somehow that was my wake-up call, and I no longer was lacking confidence. To all this, I thank Chantel Watts at the time coming, and join me in welcoming her to the show. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. Can you hear me? I got you perfect. You got me good? <laughs> yes, I do. I hear you laughing already. See, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so you found yourself a quiet spot to do this? Yeah, I found me a little spot. I have All a right. couple of them around the house. You got to have them, otherwise you go nuts. <laughs> All right, so I remember coming into the B-Doc 10 years ago and meeting you and Homie in a little conference room with Sarn Hubbard as she was introducing you guys to me. When I was first getting acquainted there in the lay of the land, and I got to tell you, I was impressed with you immediately. You're a, you, you were professional, you were confident, and of course, you were smiling and laughing the whole time. So I thought that Canada Hall would be a great time. <laughs> I was confused with that one. And that seems like it was about 100 years ago now with all the things that have occurred in the last decade. And I know for you, yeah, it's been I- a fast and furious decade. It has been very fast, um, especially the last two years. But I still remember the day that you that you showed up with Stassiron Hubbard. And it was probably one of the best days of my life there on deployment, given yeah. the current situation me and homie were facing at the time. <laughs> I was like, that's shining light, I guess. <laughs> you were the beacon of hope. <laughs> we were so happy to see you. <laughs> <laughs> I was glad I had uh, some good soldiers in the platoon. Of course, you have your rotten, a- and rotten apples, but 
I was able to deal with most of them while we were there. No one got uh, into trouble there. That was later on. Yeah, so. we had some interesting people in the <laughs> I don't forget them either. I don't forget uh, any of them. Yeah, either do I. I mean, I, I took a lot of them as lessons learned and on both sides, good and bad. So it helps us out. Yeah. And right after that, you, you kind of got put, thrown into a weird situation when, when we came back. Because you, you know, we came back from Afghanistan and you basically got no time off. You went to WLC and aerosol school. Yeah, I kind of. <laughs> I think well, I remember. Everyone else was on leave. <laughs> I know. I think I think I got a phone call. I think you gave me a pre-warning. And I got a phone yeah. call from you. And then I got a phone call from First Sergeant saying, hey, we got two slots. Do you want to go? If you, if you want to go, we can send you here. We can send you there, back to back. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I should have never opened my big mind. Like, <laughs> Would you answer the same way you are right now, laughing? And, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> so I was like, man, I can't. You know, one thing about me is um, I, sometimes I sit back a lot. But when people challenge me, I can never turn down a challenge. So I was like. Well, I got to do it. <laughs> Challenge accepted. I did cut my, I think I cut my leave short, maybe like 15 days. Oh, yeah. Because we were all, I didn't come back. We came back as you were graduating from one of the schools. Yeah, I think it was uh, aerosol school. Probably, because I was there to give you the coin. Yes. I, I think all of the battalion was back then because the commander you and um first sergeant and sergeant major showed up and i know for wc i was stuck with third brigade (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that was quite an interesting cycle yeah it was (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I mean, soon after I met you and homie in the D-Doc, was when that rocket attack happened on base, and that's the first time I got to see any misfits in action. You, homie, and Sergeant Hubbard came flying around with a vehicle and a water buffalo to put out a fire. I know there were some comical parts there where back in the vehicle became very chaotic. We can laugh about it. (laughs) We can laugh about it now. It was a lot of comical moments that day. Um, The first one, I think, when I was running to find everybody, I ran past you and Sergeant Major and the Gator. (laughs) I was like, uh, uh, there's a fire on the other side of the fire. It's like, I know, we're on our way there. Go get everybody. So when I, found, I found everybody pretty much uh, kind of dressed except for Siren Hubbard. She was in the shower and I was like, oh my God, we got to go for this fire. You got to hop out. She had suds and everything. <laughs> Didn't hear the rockets no. at all. <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was some kind of day. I didn't even think I could run that fast. Um, but somehow I made it across the five and got everybody. Um, when we got running, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
and I have you to thank for that because I was out there running the five quite often, so it wasn't an unfamiliar route. <laughs> I remember taking the, the PT test it. in Afghanistan. I was like, what am I doing? This is... <laughs> Yes, that, that's one of my notes on here I wrote today. <laughs> so I remember you asking me to give you a PT test so you can get ready for your promotion yeah. board. You worked all night. You did the night shift. I forget if you guys are doing seven to seven or eights to eights. And you met me at the LZ bright and early in the morning. And let me tell you, this always stuck out to me. After pulling an all night shift in a tough battle space, you came out and rocked your push ups and sit ups. I said, you, I know you hated the two mile run. <laughs> But you knocked it out. Yeah. And on the rocks too. So I was like, we're running this route on the rocks. Oh man. I wanted to I wanted to stop and change my mind, but I was like, nope, we got it. I'm here. I'm here. It's early. We about to get it in. <laughs> so did you was that the part of the thing we talked about earlier about you taking challenges and just going with it? Or was this, was there another tenacious attitude towards fitness? You well, had? I mean, it's both. Because, like I said, um, Sergeant Major used to call me a sandbagger all the time. Like, in the back of my mind, there's always these things that I want to do, but I'm too afraid sometimes to just go out and get it done. So I have little little voices of reason that come and just kind of encourage <laughs> or or bring things up. And I'm like, okay, I said it, now I got now I have to do it. Um, and I, yep. I'm very competitive, so that's a little secret that that nobody hardly knows about me is that once I get out there and um I put things in the atmosphere, I have to do it, and I'm gonna do it to the best of my ability because I don't like to fail. <laughs> that's a good attitude to have, though. But. Yeah, you definitely pushed me. And that, that just made me go back to all the days that we ran miles and miles. And you would say, smiles for miles. <laughs> when you would try to talk to me while you we were running, I was like, please don't talk to me right now. I'm not. <laughs> I've got to from everybody. <laughs> um, in my head, I was in agony, and outside, I was like, "Man, you better not give up. Keep those feet moving. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it moving." And then you always tell me, "I'm a sprinter, not a. I'm a sprinter, not a marathon. Sprinter. I can I remember telling <laughs> telling you that quite often. You and Stuart, like, oh, you can, yeah. you can do it, and like. The day I remember when I came back from a uh, pregnancy and postpartum PT, I went on a run with you all, and you told me you was like you owe me nine miles. I was like, Are you <laughs> nine miles, <laughs> and you weren't playing either because one day we went on a run. I think we hit ten miles that day, and I could not feel my feet, and I. You know, I was upset in the moment, but when I finished, I was so proud that I actually finished. And I finished with the platoon. I didn't fall out or any of that. So um, I really think that if it wasn't for you, I probably would have never run 10 miles because me, I hate long distance. <laughs> I believe me, I wrote that down I, many I, times. She I hated it with a passion. 
I was like, two miles. All we have to do is two miles, four at max. There's no reason to run more. <laughs> but, so, you, so, I mean, right after that is when uh, Micah came around. Yeah. And, and that was the last time I saw him. He was turning one. So then along along the way, you found Mr. Watts, of course. And now you have your own squad, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you, tell us about this part of your journey in, in life and how important that part of your that part of your journey and, of course, your, your family unit is to you. So family is really important. And, again, I have to thank um, – I have to thank you and definitely our Misfit Nation because before I had my own family, you all were really my family. Like you were with me when I bought my first home when I was pregnant. Like I have, I grew up without a father, so I never knew what it was like to really have um, people who would be there for you for moments like that. So it was really special to me just to have that we had like a really special bond as a platoon. I think I made it through a couple of rough moments in my life when I was there at Fort Campbell in the in Recce platoon. Yeah, there's some ups and downs there, definitely. Uh, I definitely remember being uh, doing house hunting yeah. with you. I think we went to about, what did we do, six houses that one night? Five, yeah, six was- houses. I was so appreciative, and I I just kept thinking, I was like, I know Gwen is like, where is it? You know what I'm saying? She's she's okay. She knows I'm here, but I'm like, I know he had just got off of work, and I didn't think that anybody would, you know, take that much time out of the day just to make sure that I didn't buy something horrible, because I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I did initially, you know, find and set up um, my loan through the VA to get the home, but other than that, I had no idea what to look for when you're going house hunting and you know things to watch out for. So I was like, man, it would really be awesome if I could have somebody who knows what to look for when buying a home. And I was no expert because I basically <laughs> just bought my first house not long before. And I learned learned some lessons <laughs> and watching many many episodes of the house. Owners. Yeah, but you did a great job. I I literally just sold that house um, just at the end of last year, and I got probably twice the amount I actually paid for it. So it was a really good home. Let's say the market the market's insane it is, there right now. And, I was like, wow, it's time for me. I've had this house for like eight years. It's time for me to sell. But I did think about, you know, I had maybe like a year and a half of memories there. It was just me and Micah um, being a single mom. That was a crazy situation. But again, because of um, because of my family there, you you all really helped me get through some tough times. That I didn't, you know, I wasn't sure if I would be able to handle the pressure or how life would be raising a child by myself, but it didn't really seem as seem that bad. I mean, 
we were more than happy to help you out. The nation, every one of us, I think, stepped up to help you at one point during the, the whole nine months uh, to do something for you or with you to make sure everything was good. And like when you found out you were pregnant, it was like, oh, and a, there was a checklist in your head that already started going as soon as, as, soon as you found out. And I, I think you were doing everything right to make the right uh, moves on the outside. Everything looked awesome. Like everything was, you're holding everything together. You're smiling all the time. I never seen you going through like the emotional side of the pregnancy. So what prepared you for that unexpected time? Um, Just realizing that, I mean, at the time I was, what, 27. It was really time for me to grow up. I mean, I believe I was mature, but there was still some <laughs> immature portions in me. And I really think that in that moment, it was like, it's time to get it together. Like, so I couldn't fall apart. <laughs> I couldn't afford to fall apart because now I have this life growing. Um, I had moments, but of course, you know, you all probably didn't see them. I had them in silence and secret. (laughs) (laughs) But um, (laughs) I was like, it's really time for me to to figure this thing out and get it together. I need to get a house. Um, I need to just prepare to give this kid a better life than what I had. So, um, I had, I, like I said, I, I've never had help like that before. So I want to get emotional, but I have a huge, <laughs> like you all did so many um, amazing things to make it a lot easier than, you know, in my brain, I thought it would go, especially bringing him into the world. And once he was here, like handling, being on active duty and raising a son getting up at the crack of dawn and going to sleep like super late at night. <laughs> um, Not knowing where you are. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was an amazing time. And then on top of that, I think the things that really helped me, especially mentally is the day when I came back from, like I said, postpartum PT and I had to do that record APFT test. And I surprised myself, but I still, I thank you because I was thinking about all those miles that I hated that she used to make me run. (laughs) And like that day I felt, I was so terrified because I'm like, I never liked the run. I did okay in it. I never failed it, but I always, it was my Achilles heel when it came to trying to max my APFT. And so I went out there, yes. but, you know, I was like, you know what, just give it everything you have. And I felt great push-ups and sit-ups as usual. I got to the run. I was shaking. But then, like, I don't know. I just started feeling good. I saw you out there, saw majors out there, and I was just like, just don't give up. And then the next thing I knew, I saw the back of you in Gasco, and I was like, I'm not passing them, am I? <laughs> I know you were um you were um pacing Gaskell because I think he was just getting over an ankle injury or something like that. Yeah. But I was, he was just I back. think I tried to hang hang back there with y'all for a little bit and you told me to get out of it. <laughs> he was like, Go little bear. I was like, Okay, I, I think I can put, keep going or <laughs> <laughs> but it was just a, a great day 
Um, I felt, I think that was probably, I've had some pretty good PT tests. But as Bird promised, the audience, the audience that uh, we, as we were leaning in for our interview with you, it would, we'd learn about Zumba. All I know is I would probably hurt myself doing it somehow. You have, <laughs> had, you however, have had a lot of and made some connection, an amazing connection through it. I mean, tell us how you found yourself in your first Zumba class, for the, first, the first Zumba class, and how did that lead to you wanting to instruct it and keep moving forward with it. Yeah, so um, fast forward past, you know, Fort Campbell, leaving there was really hard. Um, I transitioned to Fort Story first uh, in Virginia. And then I met my husband shortly. He was a single father of four boys when I met him. And um, I thought he was just a phenomenal guy. And he instantly took to my, my little one. And I don't know, it just really, he was, so after we got married, I had my daughter and I was struggling. Um, I struggled hard. I had postpartum depression and I was just, I was down. I was really hurting for a period there while I was stationed at Fort Eustis then. It's like 45 minutes away. In, um, from Fort Story. And one day I was in the gym and I was just going through the motions because I was trying to lose that baby weight and I was on the treadmill <laughs> running and I just heard music, like loud Latin music. And I was like, where is that coming from? So after I finished my run, I got off the treadmill and I was walking around the gym and I seen the little cardio room and it was filled with ladies that just having a great time. Um, and when they finished, I, I didn't go in. I just kind of peeked in. And then when they finished, the instructor came out and was talking to me. I was like, you you, could, you should come in. And I was like, you know, I didn't know if you could just, like, come in, if you had to sign up or whatever not. But I started going. And the next thing you know, like I started in the back of the classroom and she would always try to get me to come closer. And <laughs> the next thing you know, um, like I learned the choreo really well because naturally I've danced most of my life and I love dance. So um, she was like, you're really good. You should you should come, you know, come up front and do the choreo with me. And then the next thing, you know, she was like, do this song and, you know, I'll go to the back. And I'm like, um, no, because <laughs> so um, long story short, after a while, she kind of convinced me that maybe I should think about being an instructor, especially at the point at that point I was getting ready to get off active duty and somehow I don't know why I signed up to be a nasty girl <laughs> so I was about to have a lot more time to do it and I made the decision I was like okay I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go through the training and if I like it I can you know start teaching if I want to and if I don't then I can just still come here and teach with you ladies because I know everyone here but as I as I got my certification, 
um, I I did build a lot of connections with not just like the military spouses that would go to the class, but there are a lot of veterans um, and active duty service members that were able to go to a lot of those classes and just building a a connection with them um, was kind of like, it would never be like, it was when I was at Fort Campbell and I think I was kind of, I was hurting a lot because I didn't have that support and that camaraderie, but it was, it was amazing um, just to be amongst women of different cultures. It it felt kind of like the misfit nation. They came from different backgrounds. (laughs) Many of them were, they were old, they were young first sergeants, retirees, like it was just an amazing group of women. And I absolutely adored them and I adored getting to be in that in that element, just having a great time. And I lost weight so quickly I didn't even realize it. And I was like, man, this wow. is, you know, this is an awesome wellness <laughs> class to to be able to teach. And so I just took on teaching it. And the rest is history. So what advice would you money. give? <laughs> what advice would you give a, a novice or beginner that's just wanted to jump into Zumba? What what would you give them? Tell them to do. Um, I would say they're like every instructor is different. So if you go to a Zumba class and maybe it's too much or not enough like don't give up on the <laughs> the first time you you experience it if you don't like it um every instructor is different you might go to another class and absolutely enjoy it or you might hate it um there are also <laughs> various other formats of uh, fitness and dance fitness of which i teach i now teach different formats of both uh dance fitness and just fitness when it comes to strength and conditioning um but find what's what feels right to you because when you when you love what you're doing it's so much better for your mental health that your physical health will follow your mental health because I had to break down what was happening in my mind first in order to have the transformation that happened to my body so um, that's just what I would say to them. That's outstanding. That is great. And then the mental aspect is a thing that a lot of, uh, not just soldiers, but veterans as they come out. And uh, I guess I'm, I'm sure anyone has a long career with something when they come out, they have that mental block when they come out of it. And, uh, like you losing that camaraderie from Fort Campbell going to the East coast family out there and, uh, not finding it right away you had to find it a different way. Yeah. Once you found that, that helped you create your mental, uh, uh, use the strength you already had with your, men- your mental capacity. And you just found yourself again. And that's, that's exactly what all of us have to do is have that sense of purpose and keep moving forward. Yeah. So I, I did listen to, I cheated. I listened to your other podcast with Bird and Siren Wemma. And I think it was uh, brought up by Bird. It it is very important to have that sense of purpose because um, transitioning um, twice, 
from when you PCS and then when I transitioned out of active duty, I, I hit another rough patch because um, it is it's really difficult to go from doing something every day um, for like six or more years to hello now I got to figure everything out again what am I going to do uh, today I have nothing to do am I looking for work what kind of work do I want to do what am I going to do next like it's a lot that hits you at one time and so it's um, it's so important to just have a purpose and know where you want to go because it makes the transition a little bit easier yes it does was there anything you want to anything that you happened during your career that you wish didn't happen? Or is there any if you had to do all this over again from starting after you left the Chippewa Nation of Central Michigan and went to the Army after that? Is there anything you had that you would change or do differently? Um, I I don't think I would change anything, maybe except for. You know, maybe I wouldn't have joined the nasty girls. No, I'm just playing. (laughs) 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 Um, But I think everything happens for a reason. And each one of those, whether it was a, a positive or a negative, it helped me become stronger. And I grew and I learned from um, every mistake that I made. And I learned from each time I actually succeeded. So when I look back, I I honestly don't, I don't regret it. I don't regret, you know, being a single mom. Maybe I didn't want to be a single mom, but I don't regret making my son. Um, I love him with everything in me and I couldn't imagine life without him. Um, so I don't, I don't regret it. Awesome. You can't live with regrets and that's awesome. And I'm sure he 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 tests your patience sometimes, being a little guy. Oh my goodness! It's just gonna it's gonna get worse as he gets older. Just let you know. Oh, I I know it's already getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> Test my patience every every moment, every other second of the day. <laughs> and I think to myself, like, oh my god, was I that bad when I was a kid? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Ask your mom. <laughs> Go back and ask mama. See, see how many times she wanted to rip your hair out. <laughs> but sometimes I look at them and I know I can't even be mad at them because that's it's literally me, me in a little person's body. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you know, little sister sitting there watching, taking notes of what he can get away with. Oh my goodness, do. she's she's something else. Another a little <laughs> mini me outside of my body, but she's a more calmer version of me he's like the he lit all day just all day <laughs> there's, there's well, no, I know you have your hand full. there's no quitting him at all just like his mama see that's good <laughs> he said challenge accepted mom you having a good day I got you <laughs> no nah, keep me on my toes so I know it keeps you young. <laughs> they keep it'll keep you young for a little while. They do, and they have keep me keep me young and fit. And that's what I used to tell people. Besides Zumba and fitness, my kids keep me skinny because I don't have time to. <laughs> I'm trying to do anything else, but chase them around and 
<laughs> worried that you're doing something wrong, worried that they're doing something wrong. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And then I have my um I call them my love children. They're all my children. <laughs> I have five on this squad right now. There's five in my home. I have Ooh. yes. At one point, you know, we had three teenage boys and then two toddlers. And now we have pretty much two grown men. There's one that's 18. He just turned 18. And then we have our eldest son who is autistic. He just turned 21. And we have um, my youngest teeny bop who is just getting, he's 15, but he'll be turning 16 soon. And then we have Micah, who's getting ready to be nine. And then my last but not least, the only other girl in the house, Michaela. <laughs> She's five. She's the boss. Yes, she is. <laughs> Especially when mommy's not here. She holds it down. <laughs> she holds them in the palm of her hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought she- well, this has been really fun, This has been a great conversation. Uh, we basically two conversations we had. It's good. Most we've talked in a while, actually, outside of texting. <laughs> so this has been really good. I hope I can get to uh, Vietnam soon once they uh, lift restrictions, so I can go visit you in person and see the tribe, see the whole squad in person. And maybe rile up the the other misfits that are out there, like Sergeant Major that sits out there, and let make him come out and see you. That would be awesome. He lives right there too. He, he works right out of right off right off base there. So. I thought I didn't know he was here in Fayetteville. I thought he was in uh in the Charlotte area. No, he's right there. At, um, he's at the Force Com headquarters there. Oh. So he, he's doing, he's like in, in my headquarters. Oh, you did. So we'll have to get together next time we get that way. You did tell me that um, you, Sergeant Major, and First Sergeant, you all work together? Yes. We're all in the, in the same contract. So we're all doing great things still for soldiers. I'm, I'm actually in Wisconsin right now training soldiers. That's awesome. It's cold up there too. <laughs> yes, it is. It's very cold. It's, it's not Tennessee. No, it's here. not. <laughs> Ooh, I don't miss it. <laughs> I don't miss the cold at all. Yeah, it, it, it was negative two when I got here today, so a little little to get used to. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So this was great. Uh, I'll let you get back to your your household duties there and corralling the children because it's almost dinner time. <laughs> yes, it is, and but, they're waiting on me too. <laughs> it was great having you on the Misfit Nation podcast, and uh, as always, you can come back anytime since you are a founding member of the Misfit. Oh, wow. That was great chatting with Chantal. I know you enjoyed it as much as I did. I cannot wait to see what she does next and get her back on the show. Coming up now, we will meet a Navy veteran, George Herrera. He served 14 years in the Navy. He is 100% proud of his service and those he served alongside. <laughs>
He has since worked hard to help veterans in their fight against the invisible demon, PTSD. He is coming to us live from St. Louis, so let's get him on the line. So without further ado, let's welcome George Herrera to the show. How you doing, George? Hey, what's going on? So how's everything going today? Going great. You just get off work. Doing? You're at work still? Yeah, still at work. All right, Nobody good. Veterans. Nice, nice. All right, so you, you come from a long, strong family of military service and still choice, chose to join the Navy as a corpsman. And due to your skill set, were assigned not on water, but you got to serve with them nice Marines. You learned how to eat crayons and stuff and which ones were the best flavors. Tell us, uh, tell us a little about your story from uh, when you joined or why you joined, the obstacles you had, and what being a corpsman, uh, corpsman, corpsman meant to you. Thank you for uh, you know bringing me on to this misfit misfit nation. I almost feel like I'm uh, I'm an adopted uh, bastard of of the uh, of the group. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah it it all it all started. You know, we're we're all inspired um, by by certain things. And I of course was inspired by my father, who had served uh, twenty plus years in the Air Force. And nice. I'll never forget it, clear as day coming in one weekend and saying, Hey, I, uh, I rogered up. I'm going to be shipped out and how excited both him and my father, my mother was, um, they were ready to go out to San Antonio, Texas and thought they were going to see me graduate from air force boot camp. Well, that wasn't the case. <laughs> I, I told them uh, over dinner and needless to say, when I said I had joined the Navy, they thought, I was going to be up on some ship and never be home, um, but it got worse from there. I told him I had joined the Navy and that after my boot camp training up in Great Lakes, Illinois, I would be going out for training in the uh, Marines, and uh, they weren't so happy about that either. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was, it was great out of the uh, 14 years that I served. Um, 13 of them were with the Marines and I found that I liked the color green better than the color blue. Um, I wound up staying with the Marine Corps, uh, infantry corpsman and my last major unit was two seven. Nice. Yeah, man. Nice. The, the infantry. So what, uh, what being, what did being a corpsman mean to you? as you uh, got to serve alongside some, some big warriors, some great warriors from the Marine Corps, along with your fellow corpsmen that you got to train and get ready to become the same thing you were. What did that mean to you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a way of growing up, you know, uh, prior to joining, I attempted my, my schoolwork at college and found that I wasn't mature enough to keep up on my own. So that was one of the many reasons why I joined, but it was a way of, you know, putting, putting everything down and, and really focusing on what someone else's needs might be. It was, 
you know, learning that being there for someone else's care, being there for someone just to talk to someone may have needed something that, you know, they, they had to come to doc for, uh, there were many of them nights. Oh gosh. Many <laughs> of them nights. Um, but it was a 24 seven job. That's for sure. Um, it, it, it meant the world, right? It meant the world. It still does to this day. Um, it's, it's so true that they say a Marine's best friend is his corpsman um, because through thick and thin, and we've been through those, I've been through those many times. Um, the corpsman is the one that comes up and takes care of the wounded, of the injured, um, puts their lives on the line just so we're able to get out there and do some more uh, good work. Awesome. So you, you made it to the 14 year mark, which most people once they make over 10 and they start driving, they're thinking, I'm going to finish this off and get that guaranteed paycheck for life and go for 20 years. But you had to make a tough decision at the 14 year mark to either stay or move on to be with family. How did you factor that decision and how long did it take you to make it? Oh, man. You know, I had just come back from a uh, one heck of a, a deployment out in Afghanistan. We had lost 23 uh, Marines and two sailors out there. And I had actually attended about five of those uh, that we had that we had lost. And it, it was a very, very tough decision. Um, you know, I started weighing, but it, 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 it weighed heavy on me. And I weighed the options of do I commit to finishing another six years? And this war looks like it's going to continue to go. And, uh, you know, I've been away from my family for so long and they were starting to say, well, you know, look at everything that's happening. And it was a very cross point of do I continue to do this and put myself at risk or do I move on and try to make something else and start my other career earlier? How much does this retirement mean to me? Um, and and it was tough. You know, I know that it wasn't the uh, the thing that my senior advisors wanted me to do, um, but I had a great doc at that time, my medical uh, officer. And during our period of leave, he had said, hey, George, you know, I I know that, uh, you know, you went out there on leave and you guys did what you needed to do, but I want you to take an extra two weeks. And in this two weeks, I want you to examine yourself. And brother, I got to tell you, it was the last day of the last hour of the last second that I actually sat down and mirrored myself to try to do an exam. And to this day, that medical officer, that doctor, I believe saved my life. That's outstanding. Yeah. Yeah, I had I had some issues uh, that were that were hiding out. And once those came to the forefront, um, they had placed me away from, you know, doing sick call and stuff. There was a time where, you know, I and I knew it, but I hadn't said anything. I was visiting with my girls and my oldest at the time was getting into skateboards and she tripped had scraped her knee and. Something as simple as putting a bandage on her knee. Uh, I, I had cold sweats. I was freaking out. 
Um, I think I yelled at her for falling down. Um, but of course you did. You know, it, but it was like, you know, what, what was all of that? And now I look back on it, right? Hindsight is always better. And, uh, and, and those were the beginning stages of what PTSD is to many individuals. That's exactly right. And like you said, coming up to 14 years in the military, you were at a point where you're considered senior to most of those around you. And if you went to the doctor, that's a bad time. So for you to get self-care was hard. And that doc telling you to close down and actually do a self-assessment, that probably did save your life to make you look inward before looking outward. Right. Yeah, I, I know that that's exactly what that was. And, you know, it's because of that that I've taken a step um, post-military to help others do that same thing. You know, you mentioned it. It's it's not only in the military do we see it as, you know, uh, something that is a sign of weakness or, you know, doesn't so show a strength. But it truly is something that will help pave the path um, post-service uh, state. Definitely. And uh, I think in our both of our past career or our middle, or I guess our mid-ground career, both of us, we worked together. You were actually my boss. And uh, we got to see, uh, I guess, a lot of people within the spectrum of PTSD come through us. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we had mild cases. And I had one where I had to talk to him from about 10 o'clock at night till 3 o'clock in the morning to stop him. Yeah. And I know you you have had that same thing. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. It, it definitely was was something that, you know, called the question how much more we needed to be out there. And you did a awesome bang up job for being there for your uh, your veterans, you know, that that came to you, that, that confided in you um, and respected you. They still do. Um, these are relationships and friendships that we carry on even to this day. And that's because they knew they had someone that they can confide in. It was someone who actually cared other than, you know, someone who was just there for the weasel work and, you know, put a check in the box and carried on. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's per, that's a great way of putting it there. And uh, we, I did it for what, two years. You were there a little longer than I was. And then you moved on to the, the big house for the veterans, the VA. That just shows, shows your dedication to veterans right there. Let's uh, talk a little bit about what you're, you've been doing with them and where you see yourself moving on to. Well, I, uh, I was able to find me a, uh, a position out here in the VA uh, where, you know, everybody, I think the VA gets a bad rap on a national scale, maybe worldwide. Uh, and, and, and I understood that, you know, I, I listened to some of the very veterans we were just talking about, tell me how many issues they were having. And instead of just, um, you know, bad mouthing the VA, I thought, well, the only way to fix it is to get inside. And so I wanted to see firsthand what is going on with the VA. I know it's very confusing. I know that there's some miscommunication gaps that are happening. But with a big organization, as vast as the VA is, there's going to be. I I always talk to the veterans on a daily basis and I say, I want you to remember what happened uh, when you were in the military. Did you have miscommunication? Did you have gaps? Did you hear from one person who was senior to you tell you to do one thing and you go over to do it, but then another person tells you to do something else? 
this is no different. So please bear with us. And oh, by the way, if you have all of these issues that are going on, again, I need you to remember that back when you were in the military, you had policies and guidelines. And guess what? In the VA, we also have those same policies and guidelines. And if you don't adhere to what those policies and guidelines do or say for you, then guess what, buddy? You're out of there. You know, that's a that's a swing and a miss. And you do a couple yes. more of those. No one's going to care for you. Exactly. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. I, and a great I love it. I, I, I love being on this side. I can like I seen the once you moved over there, I seen the weight of the world come off your shoulders a little bit and you kinda opened up a lot more over there. And even in the last couple of years while you're there, you just keep you're growing more. You even started uh working with a non another nonprofit uh, as a chairman or founder of it. You wanna talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So uh I, I wound up through some of the networking that uh, takes place amongst veterans. Um there was a an an army doodad, you know. <laughs> who, who thought nothing more than if he wanted to get something done and do it right, he needed to get with a uh, Navy Marine Corps veteran. So I was like, oh, okay, sure. You got the right guy. And, uh, and so, <laughs> so we started talking about, you know, what are some of the best ways to, uh, to, to tackle transitioning veterans? There's all these many different programs and we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. Um, we just knew that there needed to be a place that veterans could go talk to someone face to face or put them on the phone, have somebody who cares because nowadays it's almost seems as if, you know, these nonprofits are becoming businesses instead of that caring factor where they need to be um, and really befriend these veterans to not just give them the funds or whatever it is that they need, but to walk them through side by side and to support them, to be there the same as your senior or your team was when you were in the military. And that's how we function at Warrior Transition Network. Um, we're a young organization, but we're a very busy, thriving organization. Nice. Is uh, that the website, Warrior Transition Network? Uh, is it .com, .org or something? Or do you have just a Facebook page? WarriorTransitionNetwork.org. WTNF.org. WTNF.org. That's outstanding. That way the listeners can get on there and check it out. And also put it up on the website for you. Thank you. So we talked about a lot of stuff there. So um, resilience is a, is a big thing as we go back to your PTSD. I have it too. I think we're all messed up in a little way from our experiences overseas. So, Part of uh, getting through PTSD, I believe, is resilience. And I think uh, you were you were a catalyst and helped me branch branch through some of that as I uh, was transitioning. Really, I had just finished a year out of work when I met yeah. you, and uh, you kind of showed me a way. So, I want you to talk a little bit about resilience and how to get through it. Well, I think you know, um, with resilience, uh, we can only do so much by ourselves. Um, and, and as much as we try to battle every barrier that we've ever put up being military veterans or military active duty members, um, we're not allowed to uh, talk about certain things, do certain things. It doesn't meet the machismo of, you know, what that warrior looks like. So it's a it's really a resilience of 
tearing those things down. It's a resilience of allowing yourself again to meet yourself uh, through through transition. I think resilience is a part of uh, overcoming some of those difficulties um, to, to put yourself back into a, a different form of shape and not um, not so much compare yourself to what you were in the military, but to try to reinvent yourself as a civilian. You know, I, I've, I've started telling veterans who I meet, you know, that want to talk about, you know, we got older veterans that always talk about what they did while they were in the military. And these are guys who are 60, 70, 80 years old. And they want to tell me about yes. the two years and the one year that they were in the military and how great it was. And, you know, yeah, these are Vietnam War vets. But one of the questions that I ask them is, that's great. I appreciate everything that you did. And thank you for your service and welcome home, Jack. But tell me something that you've done outside the military. And I believe that's right. when the conversation stops. So what I would tell all our new veterans who are coming out of the military is ask yourself that same question. What is it that you want to tell your kids, your grandkids um, about you and who you are when that time comes? Because the military is something that established a foundation for you. It's who you grow from there that is going to be the best part of your life. All right. I mean, that's perfect. And I think I've actually heard you ask people those questions before. I think at the SBA uh, conference, me and you spoke at, we we did our entry music to Happy <laughs> and Dance. We got the whole crowd. I mean, we were last. They put us up uh, after, I guess, what, seven hours of briefings. They put us last. So we were up against the wall, and we had to do something to make them move. And we did it. We got them moving, and we got them going. And then we were able to engage with people after. And I think you actually heard you talk to a young veteran outside there basically the same way you said you taught that Vietnam veteran and it worked. It got them, it got them to think outside that box of, I have to do everything the way I did it while I was wearing the boots and suits. So that was good work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? It, it was an excellent team. I had a great teammate, you know, coming in there with the, uh, with the SVA. I still remember that conference and dancing and getting other people to get up and dance to really change it up and shake it out a little bit. Um, that's that's what it's all about. You have to establish a connection with folks. And in today's right. day and age, when we're too concerned about what's happening on our phone and to TikTok, Snapchat, whatever the newest thing might be, um, you know, if, if you're not if you're not connecting and finding a way to really uh, hone in on another individual, then you're not paying any attention. And it goes back on what I was saying, where people are just numbers and not actually people. Right. They're just uh, basically a tick mark, tick mark on right. the wall or or that block of the day. Oh, I've seen eight veterans say I get my paycheck. And that's I don't think that's the way we need to act. And besides veterans, I know you're a big family man. You, you got out of the military to spend time with your family. You have three amazing daughters, an awesome wife who puts up a lot with both, both me and you do. <laughs> um, uh, where do you see yourself in uh, five years uh, in the veteran sphere and, of course, in the Misfit Nation? So in about five years, um, kind of working on a couple of things right now and um, hoping if everything goes well uh, that this move might put me into another position out here, still with the VA, um, but 
just with a, a greater sense of, a greater bit of responsibility um, being able to sit at the table and strategically talk about uh, planning steps. I, I think, you know, in doing anything, if those of you who are married, uh, I would always say go back home, talk to your significant other, um, definitely uh, sit on it a little bit. Don't quickly react unless you've got a fast timeline, but it is, it is a family uh, connection there. Uh, I know I've been talking about connection, 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 and, you know, myself, I'm, I'm part of a, a divorced family. I have my three girls who had lived with their, their mother, and I remarried. Um, but connection is key with keeping, uh, you know, marriages together and family. And unfortunately for me, I learned late in life, but never make the same mistake twice. That's right. And I think you upgraded. If you're doing <laughs> most well, definitely. you're better. <laughs> you're better. Really uh, make sure you stay straight most times, which is all. <laughs> Even when you let it fall in a race, but we won't, we won't harp on that there. Um, yeah. We don't know. About that. I think we're, about, we don't want to harp on that. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks when we meet yeah. up at the wedding. Well, so that we cool. might have to talk about, you know, how you're supposed to treat your uh, significant others at a later date. <laughs> Yeah, that's another, that's a whole right. other show, I think. <laughs> but this has been great, George. Thanks for coming on to Misfit Nation. Any parting words you want to say? Hey, all you misfits, it's a great group. Fantastic. There's lots of love in here. And uh, for those of y'all who I've yet to meet, um, keep doing your thing because everybody's looking at what it is that us misfits can do and be great at it. Amen. Amen. Again, George, thanks again. And I'll tell I'll see you yes, in about sir. two weeks. Thanks for being on. Can't wait. Thank nation. you, brother. All right, all right, all right. This has been a great episode with two great veterans, Chantal and George, both taught us about the journey of healing, whether it was from PTSD or just kind of losing your way. I look forward to hearing from all of you with suggestions. And of course, if you can help us out, we can use it as we start up. Again, thanks for coming in and spending some of your time with the Misfit Nation. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Until the next time, stay strong and seek help when you need it. Don't forget to go visit WTNF.org and find out more about that organization. We are the Misfit Nation.